But what makes her significant is she's the first hymn writer, male or female, to really write laments. Mm-hmm. So Isaac Watts doesn't uh, write laments. He only did 133 of the 150 Psalms. And in his um, preface, he says that there are some Psalms, which, you know, I hope this won't offend, but he literally says that they're too Jewish and he couldn't get Christian joy into them. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Anae Funga. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And in today's episode, we have an exciting guest with us, Kevin Twitt, the founder of Indelible Grace. We'll be talking about the Baptist hymn writer Anne Steele, why we should be reading old books, and how what we sing shapes what we believe. All that and more. But first, if you haven't already, head on over to himpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. This allows us to keep in touch with you when the pesky algorithms of social media decide to up and change. Plus, the weekly newsletter contains all sorts of fun bonus content, including exclusive videos that our subscribers get to see first. In this week's bonus clip, we will be talking to Kevin Twitt about his extensive hymn book collection and which of the many many books he reaches for the most but if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up yet you will have to wait to gain that content content so don't miss out next time go over to himpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter today so we really enjoyed talking to Kevin Twitt of Indelible Grace. We've wanted to have him on the show for quite a while, so we were delighted that he can make time for that. We um, had a great chat, and I particularly enjoyed hearing about Anne Steele. She wasn't someone that I was particularly familiar with, and I got quite excited because it turns out that uh, she lived about half an hour from where I was born, so it was kind of a nice connection. Yeah, I, I thought it was really fun. He knows tons and tons about hymns and hymn history. Um, I, I was particularly encouraged by just kind of hearing the origins of Indelible Grace and how it really um, revealed his pastoral heart. And mm. it's just interesting when you hear about these collectives because you don't really know why or how they get started. And to hear that it was basically a pastor um, answering the the needs of the people under him. Um, and that's how this got started. It was really, really encouraging. So loads of fun stuff we talked about. I think you guys will really enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the interview. Kevin Twitt is a graduate of Berkeley College of Music and Covenant Theological Seminary. He worked in the music industry for several years as a guitarist and recording engineer and has been the RUF campus minister at Belmont University since 1995. In 1999, Kevin began Indelible Grace Music with some of his Belmont students and has made nine CDs and a documentary film. Kevin has taught hymnology at Belmont Covenant Seminary and RTS Atlanta. Kevin Twitt, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Exciting. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. Um, we follow you on Instagram and we love when you talk about all your uh, hymns and stuff. We also really like the work of Indelible Grace. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the founding of Indelible Grace? Yeah, um, I, I guess the short version is, you know, I, I came here in Nashville, worked in the music industry Eventually, um, you know, felt the call to ministry. So I went to Covenant Seminary 
came back in 95 to Nashville and started RUF at Belmont. RUF is the campus ministry of the PCA, Conservative Presbyterian mm-hmm. Denomination. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at Belmont, a lot of the students come from church backgrounds. And I would have this regular conversation with students from church backgrounds who wondered if they really were Christians. And as I would press mm-hmm. into what was driving some of that, I discovered that a lot of them felt like if they didn't feel like they were on the mountaintop all the time, that maybe they weren't true Christians. And as Mm. I was like, where is that coming from? Because it's certainly not in the Psalms. It certainly doesn't seem to be the biblical view of spirituality or the best of the Reformed tradition. Um, It it dawned on me that some of the problem was the songs that they were singing Mm. were lying to them about what the normal Christian life felt like. Songs that were like, Lord, I just love you all the time. It's all I ever want to do. Um, just rang, rang pretty hollow. And yeah. so I was like, gosh, we got to find some better songs to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, this movement had started uh, in RUF a little bit. There was some some kind of fledgling uh, attempts by the time I got back from seminary. And I, with my background as a recording engineer, and I had all mm-hmm. these amazing students, people like Sandra McCracken and Matthew mm-hmm. Smith and mm-hmm. um, Katie Bowser, just all, all these folks were all in Nashville. Belmont is maybe half music students uh, mm-hmm. and so many talented ones that um, eventually I was like, maybe we should make a recording after, you know, may, well, I guess I would say in about five years, you know, we were taking some of these old hymn texts. I would find old hymns in, uh, in, in books. I have, as you can see, lots of old books. I never thought I'd get to go to seminary. So I thought mm-hmm. I was going to just be kind of self-taught. And mm-hmm. um, I just found these old books were really helpful. I don't know if you ever read C.S. Lewis's essay on the reading of old books, where he suggests reading two old books for every one new book. And that was the essay I read in college and have found that be really good advice ever since. And um, so I just started finding some of these old hymns. We'll talk later about Anne Steele. But for instance, finding a text like Dear Refuge in My Weary Soul Mm -hmm. and being like, whoa, like that just is so different than the kinds of songs my students are singing. Mm -hmm. And we really need to find a way to sing things like that. Mm. But hymnals before the middle of the 19th century, they don't have music in them, right? They're just the text. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, how are we going to sing that? I guess I'll come up with a tune. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. I would just Xerox off the words and hand it out to my students. Hey, we're going to sing this to to the traditional tune of Come Thou Fout. But if somebody Mm -hmm. wants to write a tune this week, uh, we'll do it again. We'll try it out next week. So one of the good things about doing college ministry is you don't have people complaining when you mess with the hymns. I think if I'd been a music director at a church, it wouldn't have ever happened, right? Yeah. The college students were up for trying new things and kind of grabbed hold of the idea. And after about five years, we had a whole group of songs. And uh, I had this background as a recording engineer and a buddy gave me the keys to his studio he wasn't using. And we made that first record, put 17 songs on it because we didn't think we'd get to make another one. And the response just kind of blew us away. Um, and so that's kind of sort of became a big part of my life's work ever since. Wow. That is so interesting that, um, that the heart of this kind of collective came out of your kind of pastoral heart for the students that you were seeing in their, in their struggle with their assurance and, and, and their salvation. That is wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, that very much. I, I definitely want to emphasize that, that it, it really was, about trying to help students get a better, more honest understanding of Christian life. I tell people we needed songs that were more honest about struggle and more explicit about the gospel. 
because mm-hmm. um, those were missing from so many of the songs that we were singing. It's it's so interesting as well, the impact that songs specifically have, because a, a lot of the emphasis, particularly in reform circles, can be on preaching, mm-hmm. preaching, preaching, oh, which yeah. is wonderful. Good preaching is good. But I think sometimes we forget as well the impact that songs can have on us. Yes. Absolutely. I like to make the point, so many of the preaching heroes that people think about in the reform tradition, um, particularly if you get like the banner of truth kind of version, all mm-hmm. you think they did was preach. Right. Most yeah. people don't know that George Whitfield put out a hymn book. Uh, yeah. They don't know that Spurgeon put a hymn book out. J.C. Mm-hmm. Ryle put out Newton. a hymn book. Mm-hmm. Who's that? John Newton. Yeah, of John course. Newton yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah. But even, you know, other folks like J. Alexander, you know, the first president of French seminary over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Luther and Calvin, like curating songs for the church were things they worked on their entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely have seen a kind of a split between the pastor and the song leader in a lot of our churches. And I, I don't yes. think that's been a very helpful development, but you're right. Yes. I, I think, you know, yeah. I'm so grateful to hear you say that. I mean, we had um, a pastor, an English pastor on a few months ago called Jeremy Walker, and we were speaking with him about Spurgeon and his, and his use of hymns during his preaching. Mm. And one of the things that came up was just, I guess our desire to see pastor hymn writer normalized again in our, you know, current day. And I guess I want to, I want to see it normalized, but then I also am surprised that more and more pastors that we meet actually have written hymns. Maybe they're not as prolific as Mm. some of the guys that we Mm. just mentioned, Mm. but they do, they, they'll, they'll be sitting there pouring over the text for their, um, their congregation uh, throughout the week. And they're like, you know what? I can't find a hymn that speaks to this thing. Mm. And so they'll write a hymn. Mm. And yeah. and that's much more old school. That's much more John Newton-y, you know? He's oh like, yeah, oh. John Newton did that very specifically, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think also though, you got to remember, you know, in those days, everybody studied poetry and wrote poetry. Yes. They also were drawing from the King James Bible, which let's, mm-hmm. we have to admit is a much poetically richer translation yeah. than a lot mm-hmm. of what we have. So I think mm-hmm. part of it is we've lost that. But you're right. There definitely have been some uh, some famous preachers that are hymn writers. I think of D.A. Carson. I think of James mm-hmm. Montgomery Boyce. I think of R.C. Mm-hmm. Sproul. Um, so there, there definitely are, are some of those and we could we could use more for sure. Yes. Amen. <laughs> well, we I have saw... no gift. Of, I tell people I co-write with dead people. Um, I don't really <laughs> have, I don't think a gift for lyric writing. So I never thought I could be a songwriter. And then I just out of necessity, you know, started writing tunes, I guess, yeah. because I'm not a very good singer, then maybe the tunes I write can be sung by normal people. So that's ended up being helpful, you know. <laughs> Well, we're very grateful for the work that um, that you've done over the years, um, and particularly with Indelible Grace, our church really mm-hmm. benefits greatly from the uh, new new hymn tunes oh, that's awesome. that you have produced. I really want to come to England and shop for books one of these days. You know? <laughs> uh, come There's to Edinburgh. Here. We have some fantastic second <laughs> yes. bookshops. Yeah. Yes, I know. I get it. Is it Nichols? James Nichols? Oh, yes, some... also armchair books. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I get the I get the email catalog from from one of them. I've been buying from them for years and years. Yeah. Um, well, we saw on your Instagram that you're a big fan of Anne Steele, which you did mm. mention a bit ago. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about 
who she is for most of our yeah. listeners who don't know who she is and a little bit about her life's works. Yes. She's um, really the first significant female hymn writer, English Baptist uh, woman, particular Baptist. So maybe some of your listeners will know that's like the Calvinistic Baptist stream. Mm-hmm. Um, she lived uh, in the 1700s um, and she lived about 20 miles from Isaac Watts, actually. But my English geography isn't very good, but she is it Broughton? Is that how you say it? Um, it's yeah. about, yeah, Broughton. It's about 35 minutes from where I was born. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, she was actually from a pretty well-to-do family. Um, her dad was a timber merchant, but he also was the pastor of the of the Baptist church. Um, some people say, you know, he wasn't able to be paid. That's because he didn't need to be paid. So he would buy forests and then sell them to the British Navy. So I suspect wow. that some of the ships that fought against the Americans in the Revolution, you know, <laughs> were, were, you know, came from his timber. But um, anyway, but she uh, she's a fascinating woman. She, you know, was was very sickly. There's a number of apocryphal stories about her. There's a story about her fiance drowning on the day before she, she uh, was to be married. That's not true. Um, so there, there, you find probably you guys have been doing him research now. So you find you know, <laughs> that there's definitely some apocryphal stories out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what makes her significant is she's the first hymn writer, male or female, to really write laments. Mm-hmm. So Isaac Watts doesn't uh, write laments. He only did 133 of the 150 Psalms. And mm-hmm. in his... Um, preface, he says that there are some Psalms, which, you know, I hope this won't offend, but he literally says that they're too Jewish and he couldn't get Christian joy into them. So he doesn't know what to do with, with Psalms like Psalm 88, which ends darkness is my closest friend in the NIV translation. Um, Anne Steele does about 35 or so Psalm versions and she does Mm -hmm. Psalm 88. Um, Charles Wesley likewise didn't do laments, Mm. Um, probably had something to do with the Christian perfectionism. Um, and so what's interesting is her hymns cross denominational lines quicker than Watts or Wesley, because I think they resonated particularly with English people who were used to singing Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, she reflects the, the full range of emotions that you find in mm-hmm. the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just found like, she was incredibly popular up until around the 20th century. And I found that hymn, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul in an old, uh, hymn book by John Rippon. Maybe you know Rippon's collection. Yep. He's a predecessor to Spurgeon, actually. Okay. Uh, so I had maybe an 1806 edition of Rippon's hymns and uh, saw this ref, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. And I just was just arrested by that first mm-hmm. line. Like, you could mm-hmm. say that in church? And this is an <laughs> Like, you know, people in charge, like, authorized singing songs like that. And I can't imagine singing songs like that today. Um, it just said Steele. I didn't know who Steele was. I had to do some research and eventually mm-hmm. discovered uh, Anne Steele. And um, yeah, I, I think what's what's cool is um, there's a great book called Ex- To Express the Ineffable by a lady named Synthony Alders mm-hmm. with two A's. She um, has been up at Regent in Vancouver, Canada, but she's working on her PhD, I think, and uh, at least is over in England at times working on Anne Steele. It's a cool story. Like there's a guy who was her professor, Bruce Hindmarsh, wrote a great book on John Newton. He came and did a conference for us, um, like an Indelible Grace hymn conference in mm-hmm. 2002. And mm-hmm. we played Dear Refuge for him. He didn't know about Anne Steele either and um, took that back to his students. Cynthia was in his class and really got enamored with Anne Steele 
and then did her master's on Ann Steele and wrote this book that taught me so much more about Ann Steele than I ever could have um, discovered on my own. So, Mm -hmm. um, so there's been, I guess, a renaissance of sorts um, with her writings. And I'll mention to you, uh, you can get this on Amazon, a buddy of mine, did a, com- a a new collection of all of her poems and hymns and psalms wow. called Refuge of oh, wow. My Weird Soul. And I wrote a little little preface wow. uh, to it. So you can get it in hardback now too, I think. Yeah. So I've been looking for her her books. Her books, I'm, I'm afraid, unless you buy that one I just showed you, uh, are quite expensive. When I was first looking for her, you know, I was able to find this uh, 1808 two-volume edition. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, for about 60 bucks. This is about a thousand dollars now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause there's just not very many of them out there. Yeah. Um, and I found over the quarantine, I found this actually, which is volume two. It's the first edition of Ann Steele. And she, you'll wow. see, she published under a pen name, Theodosia. Wow. Cause yeah. it was a little bold to put words in the mouth of men worshipers, mm. uh, in 1769, which is when she published that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she published under the pen name, but, um, anyway, she's fabulous and I commend her work, uh, to everybody. Maybe we'll, we'll read one of hers a little later. Wow. That's incredible. Oh, I'll say one <laughs> thing. She really comes across like a Jane Austen kind of character, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I, like she had numerous opportunities to be married mm-hmm. and most of them from pastors and she turned them down. She wanted Ooh. to focus on her on her work, on her poetry. She felt really called to do that. She had the financial means that she didn't need to be married. And her dad was a pastor. So she knew what a pastor's wife, uh, what that role was like. And um, so there's actually in, in, um, in one of the biographies of her, there's this incredible marriage proposal. It literally sounds like something out of a Jane Austen um, book um, that she turned down. It's amazing. You got to track it down. It's by another hymn writer too, a guy named Benjamin Bedham. Um, wow. so it seemed like it would have been like a soulmate, but yeah. anyway, you'll have, you'll have to look, I'll, I'll send, I'll email it to you because it's incredible. someone who we would get along with maybe. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there actually is a lady that has written a book just about, uh, uh, Jane, uh Steele and her social circle because mm-hmm. they would write letters to one another and they would write these like poems that were like games to one another. It was a very sophisticated, she actually got a lot, her mother-in-law got a lot of flack, or sorry, her stepmother for sending her and her sister to a boarding school in mm-hmm. a day when you really weren't supposed to educate women, especially if you were in a particular Baptist Ooh. circle. So there's lots of interesting things about her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she incredible. She sounds like a fascinating woman I would love to meet. Yes, <laughs> I know. There's no picture of her. Um, but the family still owns the house. So there are, there are pictures of the house and there are papers of hers that have never been published. I think they're in Bristol, maybe. Can't remember, but anyway. That's so cool. (laughs) Now I want to see if her house is open for visitors. I know. Yeah. Go take a tour or something. I know. I'd love to come to England and do like a hymn history tour, you know, one day. That's a dream. I uh, visited Olney in the summer and that was really cool. Oh, did you? Yes. I follow them, you know, on Instagram and I've interacted mm-hmm. with them. I actually have a William Cooper uh, signed document um, that I tracked down. Um, wow. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. big Cooper fans. Yeah. I named our our, our uh, oldest son as Cooper 
named we named really? Cooper, but we spelled it C O O P E R because we didn't want people saying Cowper. Cowper, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just too much, right? <laughs> so Anne Steele sounds like an incredible woman, mm-hmm. um, but she did live a long time ago. So why does she matter to us today? Yeah, well, if I could, you know, steal some of what C.S. Lewis says in that essay on the reading of old books, it's one of the ways to get past your cultural blinders and your assumptions Mm -hmm. is to interact with people who lived hundreds of years ago or from other cultures, Um, mostly because our assumptions about life are hard to kind of get to the surface and examine. Uh, And particularly when you think about suffering, I would say most modern Christians think that suffering is something to get through as quick as possible, Mm. um, rather than asking, how can I meet and commune with God in the midst of suffering? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you'll actually ask the question about what to do with suffering, um, or you won't even frame it if you you, you don't interact with somebody like Ann Steele, and you're like, whoa, she thinks about her suffering very differently than than Mm -hmm. I do. Now, she might be wrong. But I'll never ask the question if I don't have, you know, her or somebody else who's like a voice that can be a sort of foil to say, look at your assumptions and maybe you've missed something here. So I think that's one of the real reasons. But I think she's also an inspiration. She's the first hymn writer to really, um, like say, write laments, um, Mm -hmm. publish them herself, um, you know, which is pretty interesting. Her first Mm -hmm. two hymns, which she arranged the order of the hymns herself this way are both about the inadequacy of human language to express praise to God. And Mm. yet she cries out for God to help her. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think actually there's a lot of lessons even for modern hymn writers on that posture. Um, I could go on and on and on, but um, (laughs) yeah, I I really think, I don't, I think that question will disappear if you start reading her work for yourself. Yeah. That's my contention. Okay, well then we recommend you guys, listeners, go out and read her work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is this I a good time it. to read it now? I guess. Yeah, just. <laughs> well, I think I think um, you you hit on something obviously with that with that C.S. Lewis quote, um, but also in terms of getting different perspectives. Because I know, and I've mentioned on the show before that the world of hymns was kind of cracked open for me when I moved to Scotland from mm. the States. Mm. And this is, this has never, ever been shade towards my old church. My old church back in California even has started to incorporate more and more older mm. hymns um, into their service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I needed that perspective change because Scotland... Um, you know, having a much older history than our country and having a different relationship to hymns and psalms um, and even instruments. You know, there's mm. many churches in Scotland that don't have any, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and so the, and all that. Yeah. getting that perspective actually did show me something richer in how we approach sung worship Um in the West in general. Mm. And obviously looking back even further to someone like Anne Steele, you'll start to appreciate um, even just the language. I think that's the most fascinating thing about these old hymns is the language that is, is out of date and kind of ancient to us and, and looking up what that means and then seeing how they brought that to the Lord in worship. You go, Whoa. And that perspective changes so 
it's yeah. so priceless. Like you can't put a, a value on oh. it. I think um, one of the things I like to remind people is the church is bigger than people that talk like us. Yeah. And, the, and when you sing these old hymns, that's a good reminder of that. That's one yeah. of the reasons I don't usually change the these and thous mm -hmm. unless they're just so awkward that it, that, or there's a word that people can't understand. I'd rather explain the word mm -hmm. and hold on to it rather than like get rid of Ebenezer and come out. I'd rather explain it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, the other thing I would say that, that, Maybe I feel like we've really lost, but it's where I usually start with why why hymns is mm -hmm. worship is formative, whether yeah. we like it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people today think of it as expressive, as okay. emotive, but they don't take note of the way it's shaping and forming us. Mm -hmm. And I think once you realize that that's happening, it does mm -hmm. change the way you attend to the songs yeah. because they really are modeling what the normal Christian life feels like both for people that are in your church and even people who aren't Christians who are trying to figure mm -hmm. out what Christianity is. I, I'm afraid that that some people outside of the Christian world would, I do think, feel sometimes like faith is just sort of an ability to keep your head up when, you know, mm -hmm. when storms arise. It's kind of a temperament that religious people mm -hmm. have that not everybody mm -hmm. has. And uh, I think that's tragic because yeah. um, that's not at all a good representation of what Christianity is. And I think the songs that we sing uh, sometimes can be a barrier towards people understanding um, the gospel and what it does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think you've already hit on this, but no. what is your favorite and still hymn? Ah, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. And uh, yeah, I just love it. I mean, even that first line, a lot of times when I'm looking through old hymnals for, for texts that I might want to retune, um, that first line has to grab you, uh, and yeah. then you kind of keep reading and it continues to have insight, say things that maybe in a fresh way or fill in a gap in the songs that we have that maybe we don't have enough on a certain topic. Um, mm -hmm. so dear refuge, yeah, for a long time has been, been that one for me. It's an excellent song. It's in, mm. I love the um, versions that you guys have recorded out there. And I mm. think we've sung them at least once or twice. Have you, fact, I find it's not the easiest one to sing congregationally. Really? I think so. Oh, well, we it's tried got a it. four bar in it. Um, so it, the timing can be a little, a little wonky, but I, I feel like people are singing it more and more these days. Yeah, we even used it for, we used the tune that mm -hmm. you guys, uh, mm -hmm. for a psalm in our Scottish oh. Psalter that we use. So we were like, actually, this has the same meter. Mm -hmm. And we used that tune for that psalm. And it was, I thought it worked well. That's so really it's cool. like, it's great um, because we love, we love recently um, having so many uh, hymn writers and composers mm -hmm. on the show because mm -hmm. we really do kind of talk about the hymn text. And like you said, older hymnals just really mm -hmm. only at the text yeah. and there's, there's a lot there, but a tune is so important to a hymn because oh, yeah. it could make or break it, you know, <laughs> it could make or break it in terms of not it's, it's, it's strength in the text, yeah. but in terms of how, many generations will actually for sing sure. that hymn. Yeah, for sure. Though I, I think I heard a guy, Paul Westermeyer, who's a Lutheran uh, scholar, hymn scholar. He gave a, a talk once on hymn tunes that last mm -hmm. more than a generation or two. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, one of the things that you find is most of the ones that last multiple generations are based in folk music. They yes. tend to transcend um, cultures and generations better. That makes me proud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, him too. You know, Hughes Oliphant Old said that, that hymns should be a kind of folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, the, the standard kind of English ballad meter that comes from Anselm's um, meter, which was a, a popular Latin meter. He could have written his hymns in classical Latin meters. He didn't. He wrote it in a popular meter, which mm-hmm. has come down to be the English ballad meter, which is, you know, what a lot of hymn tunes are based on. Yeah. So there's a long, long connection there. Yeah. So would you mind just reading us that and steal him? No, I'd love because to. Because we've talked about it a little. So yes. just for our readers who aren't familiar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will. And um, I'm going to read it out of this book because there's a verse that we left out of our recorded version. Mm-hmm. And um, when I discovered it later, I couldn't put it in there because, you know, my tune, it has like an A and a B section, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and it's almost like answers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got the, the hymn text out of John Rippon's collection. He actually left out verse two. Mm-hmm. So if you reinsert verse two, it mixes up the A and B. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But since I'm just reading it, I'm going to read the whole the whole thing. Uh, All right. So her original title is. God, the only refuge of the troubled mind. Um, she actually wrote a lot of, she wrote hymns about night terrors and all, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. I've always been struck by fainting hope rely. That's a bold word. Doesn't seem like an expression of faith, does it? Um, it's very much like Psalm 73, though. You know, um, surely God is good to Israel, but let me tell you how my feet had almost slipped. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to see how what she does here. So she confesses, you know, that he's the only refuge. And then she says, while hope revives, though pressed with fears, and I can say, my God, beneath thy feet I spread my cares, and pour my woes abroad. So she's basically saying, I'm having a moment of clarity and and assurance. My sense of assurance is strong. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to lay out before you kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love this hymn so much. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone canst heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. Mm -hmm. But oh, then exclamation point, which is her punctuation. Right. Mm-hmm. She, does, she has exclamation points all over the place in her hymns. Um, <laughs> there's a very kind of robust strength and, and energy. She says, mm-hmm. but oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, again, a strong word, prevail, not mm-hmm. just nip around my heels, but through Jesus, I rise above it. No, she says, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet, gracious God, where shall I flee? Thou art my only trust, and still my soul would cleave to thee, though prostrate in the dust. Mm -hmm. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access 
to breathe my sorrows there. I love that. Breathe my sorrows. Sometimes that's all you can do, right? Yeah. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat. With humble hope, attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. So she comes back to a place of trust, but it's a sobered, it's not triumphalistic. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah, I love that one. But I, I tell you, there's you... so many good ones in her, in her work. I love that you can hear the Psalms in what yeah. she's saying. You yeah. can hear yeah. like these echoes of the lament, but the hope yeah. as well and the faith. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would love her version of Psalm 88 because she has the courage to, to be honest. It doesn't end happy. You know, most other people who've done versions of Psalm 88, at least until recently, tend to make it happy at the end. Yeah, they tend to add bits to Mm -hmm. make it less. Yeah, but sometimes the sorrow is still going on when the song's over, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We were actually talking about Cooper recently and his um, hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, and just saying, like, it's the fact that he faces up to the reality of suffering that makes his hymns really have impact. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a story, it's probably apocryphal, but man, that that was the hymn he wrote as he felt the depression coming on him again? Yes. Yeah. I've never There's, asked yeah. the, the, the museum what they think about that, you know? There's there's argument that it doesn't work with, with the dating of when it was uh, yeah, um, yeah. Got it, yep. yep. When it was published. I, it sounds too good to be true. So I, I felt like, <laughs> yeah. it rang like it rang, seemed like an apocryphal story. Yeah, well, but I mean, he was always on the brink of insanity, that yeah, guy, yeah. so... yeah. So it it's still speaks to what, yeah, yeah. what he was yeah. in great ahead. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, signed document I have from him is from when he was a law clerk, um, mm. which is why it was a, a little more affordable because it's not just his signature has a couple other people, yeah. but it also was, that's when he had his psychic break, right? Mm. Um, when he was studying for the bar. So it's from that, which then led to his conversion. So yeah, it's kind of especially precious to me, you know? Yeah. Just to pick up on uh, what we've been speaking about in terms of how honest Anne was in terms of mm. these kind of deep sorrows, this lament, um, we actually just finished a series on the providence of God. And what we were reflecting on afterwards is that so many of the songs that we picked, maybe every single one, now that I'm thinking about it, mm. actually speaks about God's providence in the midst of deep sorrow and trials and being caught in the storm, like all, almost every single hymn writer, and they were all different, um, spoke. In, and I thought, I didn't expect that when we were approaching mm-hmm. it. I thought we would maybe have more, not happy clappy necessary, but, mm-hmm. but more like joyful songs, even though they did have quite a bit of joy in them. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see that the hymn writer reflects on God's providing in the middle of not being, you know, provided for in the way that we would think of it in in worldly terms or in secular terms. Yeah. So I do find that those hymns could be very encouraging um, because, as you say, that's real life. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, if, if you don't, if your church isn't singing songs like that, then when you're experiencing that, you feel crazy. And you feel like you can't tell uh, anybody else what's really going on. So I I think it's, there's so many, I mean, we could talk for hours about (laughs) how important it is. Yeah. You know, there Cooper's hymn, um, Sometimes a Light Surprises. I love that song. Yeah. And I love that he used the word sometimes. Yeah. Yes. You know, a clear, 
you know, season or cheering season after rain, you know, but it's not always, you know, mm. it's sometimes, but it's still, the, you know, what the Puritans called God's kisses, you know, mm. that kind of assurance, um, full assurance, you know, some have, have said, like, that's a reality. We don't despise that. Um, but we don't, we don't trust in that rather than you know, we trust in Jesus. Like that old hymn on Christ, a solid rock. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And most mm-hmm. people don't know what a frame is. You know, it's kind of an emotional state, a frame of mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't trust in the sweet frame. We don't despise them either. Um, but we have to speak truthfully about that. Um, yeah. and, and I, I love that so many of these hymn writers also were letter writers like John Newton. And mm-hmm. so sometimes you can read, you know, his letters and, and then get insight into his pastoral approach that you see yes. in the hymns as well. So true. So having talked about the value of old hymns, hmm. if I was a brand new Christian or a Christian who's brand new to hymns and yeah. I'd never heard of or sung a hymn in my life, uh, what would you suggest that I start with? Hmm. Well... I, I suspect that they've probably already heard Amazing Grace. And if they're in the UK, they've probably heard Abide With Me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what else? I mean, Dear Refuge With My Weary Soul is a good one. Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder by John Newton, I think is one of the greatest. Um, I, th- those would probably be two of my favorites. Um, mm. But but And I think I would probably try to tell them the story behind the hymn too, because as you all yeah. come to understand, that really enriches people's uh, experience and use of these yeah. hymns. Um, I like to tell people it's good to talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Yes. Um, you know, we when we made that first Indelible Grace record, um, you know, I've included like what a page or, or a couple paragraphs about why we were doing what we're doing. Because mm-hmm. I really wanted people to grab hold of the vision and not mm-hmm. just receive it as a consumer and say, I like this or I don't like yeah. that. Yes. And, and I think that's what's helped other people be able to pick up the baton and say, hey, we that's a, a vision we believe in, and we want to add our voice to this. Yeah. Um, well, since we put out that first Indelible Grace record in 2000, uh, my first b- friend, Bruce Benedict, I don't know if you, if you know Bruce, the hymnary, uh, he's up at mm. Hope College and Cardiphonia is his website. Um, yes. He does a lot of cool like hymn stuff and nice. gets a lot of indie musicians to be involved. Anyway, he was working on a PhD on the history of the retuned hymn movement. Mm-hmm. And even like 10 years ago had documented maybe a thousand um, new hymn tunes Really, since that first Indelible Grace record. So that's been really cool to me to see how many people have kind of picked up the baton and taken it and incarnated this idea in different musical styles. Cause I don't think it always has to be a folk music style. You know, we've tried to press in like with heal us uh, on our last mm. record, oh, which is a Cooper, too, right? We tried to put that in a gospel music yeah. voice, right? It just seemed to be mm-hmm. the right tone, the right feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to even demonstrate for people, like th- there's a whole, the idea is what's important. Um, kind of finding your heart music language mm-hmm. and being able to, you know, recover these hymns, yes. maybe a way of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know? Yes, yes. And, and and how exciting it is that, you know, a lot of my students and former students are going around in used bookstores looking for old hymnals. Yeah. And and I know that that's happening because I used to be able to buy cool leather-bound hymnals on eBay for like 20 bucks, and now they're <laughs> like 75 bucks. So, you know, I used to always, that's the present I like to give when I do someone's wedding. 
Um, oh, my students, I like to give them, you know, but they're too expensive now. I can't do it as easy. <laughs> yes. So, oh, well. Oh, well, honestly, we could, and we probably would if we weren't limited by time, talk to you mm-hmm. all the live long day yeah. about we'll this stuff sometime. because... Yes, we will definitely hold you to that. (laughs) Um, But we'll have you stick around. Um, We have a bonus question just for our subscribers to get first. Uh, But if you're not signed up to our newsletter, you won't be able to access it for quite some quite some time. So um, where can people find you? What's the best best place for people to find you? Oh, well, Instagram, you know, Indelible Grace on Instagram. Um, We have a Facebook page but i don't think it's very helpful if you go to i the letter i gracemusic.com you can join our email list and i guess i would want to make sure people know about the indelible grace hymn book uh resource online um we we put a lot of work into that making all this stuff available for people we even have like spanish translations of all the hymns and anytime somebody like says can i write out a string part for instance i'm like yes great will you share it and i'll post it there so that people can access it and download all that stuff for free as well. Yes, it's a wonderful resource. Please go check it out. Kevin Twitt, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. <laughs>